As I mentioned uh, in the beginning, we are in the midst of a uh, series. Normally, we just kind of go through the lectionary texts as they come. We're kind of doing a series right now about our church practices, why we do the things we do as a community. And uh, what we want to do is just take some time to really consider uh, the purpose behind our kind of religious practice, right? And we're going to be looking at different scriptures uh, each week, depending on the topic at hand. But we'll probably use uh, Acts 2, which, which you heard read just a moment ago in a much cooler voice than I have, uh, as our jumping off point uh, during the series. Uh, and these, in this short little section in Acts 2, we see just kind of this synopsis of what uh, those who knew Jesus firsthand, those who had spent years of their life following Jesus, listening to him, learning from him, watching his teachings and his love and his uh, death and his resurrection and his ascension, uh, when he was no longer there, uh, what they did, how they best figured, being the ones who knew him uh, the best and had spent the most time with him firsthand, how they decided they should organize themselves and act as a, as a people now that Christ was no longer there. And so I think, uh, while, while I'm not saying that it lays out like this perfect uh, formula for how you should do exactly church like this, 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 context matters. They had their context, the time and place and their religious history and all those things. I do think it gives us a pretty good glimpse as to what the values were among those folks. And again, we'll, we'll revisit this. Uh, we're not just going to kind of march through this verse, these verses specifically tonight, uh, but we'll, we'll revisit it. But it says this in Acts 2, verses 42, uh, sorry, uh, 42 through 47. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. Now, there's a lot going on in those verses. If you start breaking it down you know, per sentence and per verse, sometimes uh, more than one thing in a verse, there's a lot going on there. But one of the overarching things you can see very, very clearly is uh, what they do when Christ is no longer there is they draw closer together. They are uh, unwaveringly committed to community, right? They drew together because all that they will now practice only takes place in this context, in the context of doing this together, of community. And that's what I want to think about tonight. We're, we're talking broadly here. Why practice community? There's other things you can do with your time. There's other things you can do with your resources. There's other things you can do with your life than community. Why practice community? And originally what I was going to do is kind of talk about the theology of community, right? And we could spend a couple weeks on why community is so vital and, and where we find it all throughout scriptures. I'm just going to give you a thumbnail tonight because I want, to, I want to go down a different path. But we see from the very beginning of Scripture that community is, is just hardwired. It's knit into who we are, right? Within the creation narrative itself, from the very beginning of our Scripture, we see God proclaiming that humanity is good, but it's not good for him to be alone. It's nice that there's animals. It's nice that there's creation. It's nice that you can enjoy all those things, but it's not good for man to be alone. We are made as communal creatures, 
Why are we made as communal creatures? Because we are made in the image of God and what we believe as Christians is a Trinitarian God, which is to say that we believe in a communal God, a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this unending uh, relationship of mutuality and love acting in the world. We are made to be in community. The God that we are made, in, in whose image we are made, is communal. When God interacts with the world throughout the, uh, throughout the Old Testament story, God chooses to do it through a chosen people, through a community. When God becomes incarnate, he comes to this world in the context of a family. He is born to a woman who must take care of him, to a family who must watch out for him. And then as he gets older and is old enough to choose, he chooses 12 people to do ministry with. The shorthand answer is do you need community could always be if Jesus needed it, you probably do too. All of Christ's practices and teachings call us towards deeper, healthier, more loving community and never away from it. And all of Scripture ends with this amazing picture of a banquet table where everyone is invited to join. It begins and ends in community. Why is community important theologically? Because it's God's nature, because it's our nature, because it's Christ's practice, it's our calling, it's the sign of our redemption, it's where everything is going. But other than that, it's really not that big a deal. Theologically, you can't make a case against community. But but rather than spending all of our time tonight kind of talking about the theology of it, because we talk about that stuff a lot, I feel like you guys probably know it, I want to look at, uh, I want to frame out a little bit how exactly healthy community helps us to become fuller human beings, how it builds on to that wiring of who we are. And I'm going to, um, the, the nice word for it is borrow, correct term would be steal, um, uh, an image and a framework from a book that I love. And I want to, I want to encourage you, if you've never read this little book called Strong and Weak by uh, Andy Crouch, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's written from a kind of a faith perspective, but to me, the, the way he kind of frames everything out, it goes far beyond that, um, and, and you can be applied in a lot of different ways. So I, I recommend that book to you. And, and in this book, Andy Crouch um, tries to lay out what it looks like for us to be full human beings, for us to thrive and flourish in the way that we are created. And I'm going to borrow an image from that, uh, from Strong and Weak, uh, and I haven't thought about this for a long time, and for some reason, about halfway through the week as I was preparing, and I was just going to kind of do a theological talk on it, this image kept popping in my mind, and it just, for some reason, it just was the hook that I had to kind of hang things on tonight. And as he frames his book, what he's trying to do is he's trying to make sense of the paradoxes we have in our lives and our thoughts. A paradox being two things that seem like they shouldn't go together, but do, right? Hence the title, Strong and Weak. And this sounds complicated, but, but it's really not. But he uses an image, and so I'm, I'm going to use the whiteboard again. We did this a few weeks ago. I've never done it before. And I'm horrible at drawing and worse at handwriting. So I apologize in advance for whatever this ends up looking like. I'm going to try and wheel this over here. Just like last time, I like hit it, because obviously, if you had seen this amazing artwork, it would have ruined everything ahead of time. <laughs> and you would have just checked out. All right. So he's trying to figure out how do we think about um, paradoxes, and eventually he's going to get into the paradox of who, uh, kind of who Jesus is. And so the first example he uses, what he says is when we think about paradoxes, we tend to think about them on a line. And, and here's what he means by that. And, and the first example he uses is parenting. 
So as a parent, there's a, there's a paradox that exists as a parent. And what you're asking yourself as a parent, and this is something that you struggle with if you're a parent, I've struggled with as, as I'm a parent, is who am I supposed to be in relationship to my child? And the, and the, and the kind of, we think about these, this paradox on a line. So am I supposed to be kind of firm, the rule maker, set the boundaries, make sure that I'm guiding the kid, making sure they're following the rules, I'm, you know, I'm more firm as a parent, or am I supposed to be more kind of warm and loving and, hey, buddy, we're all in this together and all, all that kind of thing, right? And we tend to think about it, again, on a line. And when you think about it in these ways, this paradox kind of becomes impossible to reconcile, right? Because whatever step I make towards being more firm, I'm making away from being warm. And whatever step I take towards being warm towards my child, I'm taking a step away from being firm. And so you kind of find yourself, and and I've certainly fallen into this way of thinking about things, and, and it feels like it's this constant struggle. And, and what, uh, what Crouch says is that when you come across a paradox like this, you shouldn't think about it on a line. You should think about it uh, in a box uh, with these, and I can never remember which is X, I, and Y axis, but don't worry about it. But, and so you think about it on this. So you have firm going here and warmth going here. And instead of thinking about it as two opposite things that can't coexist, what we all know, deep down, what you know as a parent, is somehow I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be both of these things at the same time. And good parenting, if you've had a good parent, you know. If you've had a bad parent, you know. Good parenting is found in this place. It's finding a way to somehow set those boundaries, to somehow give the kind of parameters that children need to grow and thrive and feel safe and secure, while also being warm and loving them and walking alongside them and continuing to maybe giving them increasing freedoms and those kind of things. This is kind of where good parenting is found, right? And so, and then if you, if you look at it this way, then you can kind of see where the mistakes are too, right? So if you're down here and uh, you are all warmth and no firm, well, we've all had those kids over to our house, haven't we? I remember a, a friend of our daughter's one time looking at me in the face after I told them to do something and saying, oh, I'm the guest, I get to do whatever I want. So we accelerated towards the firm at that point, right? But they may feel loved, they may feel accepted, they're probably gonna feel like God's little special snowflake given to the entire world, right? But we know what happens if you end up here. If we were all firm and no warmth, right? Some of you had those parents. You know how that goes too. Now we're talking about maybe a kid, maybe, maybe they'll perform very high. Maybe they'll feel like they're, they're meeting all the rules, but they'll struggle with the idea of feeling loved or accepted for who they are and just within themselves, right? And if you come down here, you're just, you're just not there. You're not firm and you're not warm. You, you're not close to them relationally and you're not setting any boundaries for them. You're just non-existent in their lives. So you see, there's this idea, of if we think about it on this line, then we're always in this tension. If we think about it like this, then we can find a way to make sense of two things that seem like they don't go together, but are very important to coexist. Is that, is that making sense? So he, he uses that as an example, like parenting as an example. So if you, uh, if you think about this, then what he ends up talking about is 
Um, all the different kinds of paradoxes that we end up with, especially spiritually speaking, right? Now, here comes the bad part. I got to pre-write those really slowly so they're legible. I'm not sure what's going to happen here. But, uh, you know, we, we think about, especially in regards to God and our theology in regards to God, there's a lot of paradoxes that we uh, kind of put out there and sometimes struggle with, right? Uh, fully God or fully human? Is God just or is God loving? Right? And, and, and if we map things out like this, it becomes very difficult to make sense of. And, the, and the, the thing that he talks about in regards to, he uses Christ as an example, but we'll talk about this being true of all humanity, is the, the paradox that we really want to try and make sense of is the paradox of authority and vulnerability. like I'm going to spell that wrong. Authority and vulnerability. Authority meaning that that you have the power to make meaningful choices, right? That you can say something and that thing will happen, that you have some kind of power in that sense. Authority. Vulnerability meaning you are able to be wounded, that you you are not above things, right? You have some vulnerabilities, and one of the things that you have to think about in regards to Christ, and one of the, there's been buckets of theological ink spilt over this issue in regards to theology and, and Jesus. Because which is Jesus, right? Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of all things, who was, is, and always will be. All things created th- through him and for him and for his glory, right? That's a whole lot of authority. And Jesus walks this earth. Jesus born dependent upon a mother. Jesus weeps and bleeds and dies. It's a whole lot of vulnerability, right? And so, again, there's a lot of theology that has gone into trying to reconcile and make sense of this so we can wrap our minds around it. And, those, and it, it goes all different ways. Um, you may have a theology that kind of says, well, you know, Je- yes, Jesus did come to earth, but I mean, in reality, he was just kind of floating a couple feet above the earth. Yeah, yeah, he wept because he knew that people needed that. And yeah, he bled and he died, but he didn't have to. And it wasn't like he didn't really die, right? Because he's really kind of just playing human. And so you, kind of, you end up over here in order to make sense of what appears to be vulnerability, but can't be because vulnerability can't exist with this, right? Or there's, I've got some family, extended family who are part of a church that have a theology, this is not my theology, but that believes that uh, Jesus was basically fully human until he was baptized, and then they think that's when Jesus became God. So that Jesus literally moved from vulnerability to authority, and then after that point, and that's how they make sense of this, right? And so you're always trying to navigate these two things. But in the same way, he talks about trying to make sure writing sideways is hard. Authority That is kind of a why. Um, He says that we should think about Christ like this. And then what he also says is that not only do we think about Christ like this, but we believe that this is where human flourishing takes place. 
uh, to be, this is fully human. This is a person living the way God intends, the way God created them to live. And this is part of what makes Jesus so unique and what makes him the model for what being fully human means in this world. So what he talks about then is that this is flourishing, and then he labels the other boxes too. He calls this one exploitation. He calls this one suffering. And I'm trying to remember what he calls this last one. It's like removed, let's say absent. So here's, here's what, so here's a good example to me of, of why we map out Jesus like this. If Jesus was not located here, think about what the implications are, right? If Jesus had been in box two, all vulnerability, no authority. In box two, there really isn't much good news for us. Jesus is just, just someone who just got oppressed and suffered and died in this world, right? There is no good news. There is no God above us. There is no victory over anything. There's none of that. There's just suffering. Jesus was here, absentee God, right? No incarnation, none of that. If Jesus is all here, all authority, and no vulnerability, then we don't have incarnation. We don't have God with us. All we have is God above us the divine rule maker, ruler of all things, distant from us. One of my favorite passages, you've heard it a lot from me, is out of Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. It's probably one of the earliest hymns of the Christian community. And it gets at this idea. It says this, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That verse, that song, makes a mess out of this line. But in Christ, we see what it looks like when one lives fully into both their authority and their vulnerability. Crouch argues, and I completely agree, that this is what being fully human looks like. That each human being needs to be both, needs to both of those things to be who God intends them to be. To have authority, to have the ability and the opportunity to make meaningful and effective decisions in their world. Another word for that would be to have their own kingdom of sorts, where what they say and do matters. Now, obviously, we're trying to bring that kingdom in line with God's kingdom, but we all have, to some degree, smaller or larger, some kind of kingdom. And we need vulnerability, exposure to meaningful risk, to be genuinely woundable, close, open. And when we have both of those things, that is where true human flourishing is made possible. This is where true human flourishing is made possible. 
Let's think about some examples of being down here, suffering. All vulnerability and no authority. In our uh, communal history, you can think about slavery. Slavery was the act of taking people who should have some authority and some autonomy of their own and taking that away. So that they are fully vulnerable and they have no say in their own lives. They have no kind of kingdom of their own. They have no self-determination whatsoever. They're only vulnerable and they suffer. Abusive relationships lead to suffering. Addiction effectively takes away your authority, right? It gives your decision-making power to something else. If you have no authority, no meaningful things to say or do in this world, you don't have any power, and you don't have any vulnerability, that means you are absent, you are withdrawn, you're isolated. This is what we do to people who are already in prison, but we want to make them even more miserable. We take it all away. If you're up here, all authority and no vulnerability. Well, that's when you become an exploiter. This would be the slaveholder instead of the slave, right? This would be the abuser instead of the abused. This would be the imperialist or the colonialist or the whatever it might be. I would argue that I think the pandemic was so brutal for so many of us because it felt like uh, in one way or another we were getting pushed out of this into something else. Maybe you were someone who went through the pandemic by yourself in the house and suddenly it began to, you got, began to feel like you're getting pushed down here. Maybe you couldn't do your job effectively because you had kids in your face 24-7. Hypothetically, maybe there was someone like that in this room. And you end up getting pushed. I don't have any say-so. I don't have any control anymore. This is where human flourishing happens. And it's not just a neat little diagram in some guy's book, although I think this is a brilliant way of framing it out. This is the incarnation. This is God with us. This is a God who is fully human and whom we are called to imitate. Our own fullness, our own flourishing is found in that space. And I would argue you cannot get there without community. That doesn't even exist without community. A community faithful to Christ is a community seeking to move everyone towards human flourishing. What we have when we gather here together and when we do life together, functionally, we have a laboratory, a smaller, safer context, more sanitized, maybe, where we can practice being the kind of people that we are created to be, where we take all those really perfectly nice theories and bumper stickers about coexist and love all your neighbors and do all those things that are very nice things to say, but very difficult things to actually do. And we take all those perfectly nice theories about love and grace and hospitality and we test them on each other. Church is where we go to see if we can figure out how to make those ideas reality. Where we can tell each other the truth 
and love, where we can comfort each other when we're suffering, where we can challenge each other, where we try to figure out exactly how to be fully human with other messy human beings. And this is messy. If you take it seriously, it is messy. There's no easy way to get from one of these boxes to here. It's messy. It is the laboratory where we attempt to help move everyone into fullness and flourishing. So if you are a person who's heavy on authority and low on vulnerability, you're almost certainly leaving people in your wake as you live your life. Or at the very least, neglecting them. If you are withdrawn altogether, you are hurting yourself and the community with your absence. If you're down here, then you've been victimized by other folks and you're suffering at the hands of a community that's supposed to be building you up. And this is why the early church is doing what it's doing. The early church is telling the invulnerable to sell something and give it away, to give generously, to open their homes and their tables to those who need it. They're telling the authoritative to get vulnerable. This is why they're inviting the isolated into their family to move them into flourishing. It is why they're empowering the suffering and seeking justice for the oppressed. These are all attempts to move people from wherever they are into a fuller human flourishing. (laughs) That is what this is all about. None of those things happen in isolation. They only happen in community. They only happen in relationship to others. And so we gather and we commit ourselves to community and we say if you are isolated, you are invited to be here. You are welcome to participate. If you are independent and authoritative, we challenge you to give, to open up, to be honest, to be introspective, to serve, even though you could go through this life without doing any of that stuff. If you are suffering, we offer to help however we can, to help meet your needs, to fight for you, to fight for justice for you, to speak up for you and try and empower you in whatever way we can. And none of these moves are easy. None of this work is easy. It's all messy. We need to help. We need help from others to choose vulnerability when we don't have to choose it. We need help from others to trust community again when we've been suffering at its hands. We need help from others to find some authority in a world that has withheld it from us. We need each other's honesty and loving accountability. We need each other's encouragement, advocacy, and generosity. We need each other to flourish. That is why we're committed to community. Not to build a big program, not to make a name for ourselves, not to create some kind of institution that will live on and and grow in its assets and impress everybody around us? Who cares about any of that? Are we helping people get here? Is the work we're doing at Hawkins Elementary School helping people get here? Is the way we treat each other and who we invite into our homes, the way we open ourselves up to each other in this community, is it helping move people to here? Is the way we vote and give and fill in the blank Are we moving people towards a fuller humanity, the kind of life that Christ led and wants for his children? We need community to flourish. We need each other to live a human life 
as Christ led his. And at the end of the day, I know I won't flourish without you. I know I won't. I know I'll choose against vulnerability without your help. I know that I'll isolate myself without your help. I know that my suffering won't lead to something better without your help. I need community to be who God has called me to be. You need community to flourish. None of it's easy. It's messy. It's life with people who drive you crazy sometimes. It's life with people who feel like they always need something. It's life with people who have it all together and yet somehow still complain to you. Do they know what you're going through? It's time and energy you don't feel like you have. But it's how we flourish. Community matters. I need it. You need it. It's something inside of you that are, that's going to fight against it at times, the same way there's something inside of me that fights against it. But we need it. This is who we are. It's who we're made to be. We practice community because we must practice community in order to flourish the way we've been created to flourish in this world. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are grateful that you you are the God of paradox. That you are a God who is above us, a God who has created all things. That this entire universe, which is too vast for us to even begin to comprehend, all came from you. That you are all authority, and all authority is due to you. And yet you are a God who made yourself vulnerable out of love. That you are a God who took flesh and blood and dwelt among us. You are a God who opened yourself up to be wounded by the ones you loved and died for. And we know now that your life was a fully human life. God, help us to be fully human. Help us to be who God has created us to be because we know it is God's greatest pleasure when we are. Lord, may we be a community that moves people towards the flourishing you have intended for them. Lord, we love you and we ask all things in your name. Amen.